Welcome to Sastery in the Making, the podcast that features the people who made the software world what it is today and the leaders who are shaping the future of technology. Here's your host, Matt Wallach. I want to know how come so many companies fail at data transformation projects? Why? Why is that? And why giving value to customers leads to sales growth? I cannot wait to dive into that. We're going to touch on those subjects and more today. This is Sastry in the Making. I am your host, Matt Wallach, and I'm delighted to be joined by my special guest, Len Finkel. Len, how are you doing today? I am doing well, Matt. Better than I was yesterday. I had my, my second vaccine Monday, so yesterday I wasn't feeling great, but I'm back on the horse today. <laughs> Well, I got my second coming up, so I'm glad to hear that one day you're good to go. So that's awesome. Good for you. And you're probably in better shape than me, Matt, so you probably will take a half a day. Uh, I'm not sure about that. We'll see. (laughs) Let me tell you all about Len. This guy knows his stuff. He's the CEO of Prophecy, and Prophecy exists to empower the possibilities of a data-enabled future. Really, Prophecy is the only fast, affordable, and scalable master data management solution. That's MDM, master data management. We're going to touch on that is the only master data management solution that helps organizations ensure trust in their data. He's also formerly the president and CEO of Empower Software Solutions. So when it comes to all things running and growing companies, Len knows how to do it. So Len, once again, thanks for coming on the show. Absolutely, Matt. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, For sure, for sure. So tell me, what's going on with you guys lately and what's coming up? Well, let's see. The first thing is probably similar to a lot of software companies, a lot of companies in general. Uh, we're definitely preparing for back in the office work. So we're we're looking forward to when people are coming back in the office and obviously had some big decisions to make because it's definitely shown me uh, how well our employees can work even when they're 100% remote. I've been really impressed. The people here have, have just done incredible things and I'm so thankful for what they've done. So I don't want to ruin that. But I do believe and we believe here at Prophecy that there is a tremendous amount of value in that face-to-face interaction. So we, we wanna create a hybrid environment where we keep the good and the flexibility that employees have grown to love and shown that how productive they can be, but also make sure that we're contributing and continuing to grow that, that those personal relationships that make us so productive. And that's the challenge, right? When, when it's all remote, it's not so difficult. When it's all headquarters, it's not so difficult. Combining the two is even more of a challenge, but we're excited to, to see how our employees attack that and make it even better. So we're in the midst of planning, reconfiguring the office to to be used for when the people are back in, because it will be mostly when they're interacting together versus being off working individually. And second of all, the other thing that we're working on very closely, more product related, is really taking that next step in our evolution around machine learning. So those are two things we're super excited about, and that's what's keeping us busy today. That's awesome. I want to talk about, first of all, I think it's great that you are taking the best parts of both in-office and remote work and kind of meshing it together to make the better solution. So tell me, how did you manage that situation that we've just come through of all the COVID stuff and everybody being remote? How did you make sure to keep your team focused, keep your team working hard, keep your team working together really well? How did all that go for you, Len? Yeah. So Matt, we were very fortunate and we started on a journey of really focused on those things before the pandemic hit. So we were lucky to have an employee base that was extraordinarily engaged to begin with. So we started with that great basic start where people are bought into the company and each other. So that set a nice foundation for us to build off of. 
And then what we did is we focused on, first of all, we were communications essential. We made our decisions very quickly on what we were going to do and communicated that quickly. We had a plan for what we we're going to do. So we even told the employees when it first seemed like we, this might happen, we let them know we have a plan in place. Here are some of the things we're going to focus on. When and if we go remote, here we have a plan. And I think that just establishes some comfort in people. All as human beings, we get most concerned by uncertainty. Bad news is bad. Great news is great. Not knowing is the worst, right? You just can't have that. So communication was critical. We put mechanisms in place to keep the collaboration and engagement very tight. As a matter of fact, like many companies did, we started a, a weekly all-hands call. Uh, we call it Prophecy Plugged In. And uh, like it, that. it runs weekly. And we have the whole company uh, come on board. And what we do is we give them updates on things that are going on at a corporate level. But we also do interviews with individual employees where they talk about themselves. And they also talk about their jobs. And um, it's been so productive. We also bring on customers so we can hear about our customer stories and what the customers do once the software leaves the building. Because develop, think about from just the developer perspective, I'm there coding away. And then I put it off. The release goes out. There's all kinds of sweat. We got to be it out on time. It goes out on time. And our group does a great job of, of doing that. But then they're on to the next thing. So by being customers in to show and tell our employees what they're doing with the software, provides that link and engagement, you know, that people find so important because as we all know, to keep people engaged, there's lots of things that you need to do. You need to uh, treat them well, make sure they're compensated fairly, you need to communicate with them, but they also need to know how what they do contributes to what the company's trying to do. So when you see what customers are doing, and we're talking about customer value later, that really just helps people say, wow, that's when I did this in the software, this is the result of it. And this is how I've helped this company, my customer, be more successful. On the employee side, it not only lets us get to know each other personally, which is the foundation for trust and engagement and productivity, but furthermore, it gives you insight into how what I do affects others. If I'm in sales and I set expectations, then someone else has to come in and, and make those, those expectations a reality, someone in implementation or someone in customer support. So when I hear what a customer support does on their everyday uh, job and the challenges and rewards they get, it gives me that empathy. All those things together, I think, helps us stay connected as a company. And just as a, a small indication that made me feel just great about the things we're doing is we do a, a yearly survey, as most companies do, of our employees. And in the comments section, the majority of people, one of the comments that they made was, oh, even when we're back, we want to keep Prophecy plugged in. So that was really cool. So just a couple examples. It comes down to clarity communication and caring, and you get people that are, are going to stay engaged. I love it. Sounds like your plan has worked really well. I love that. I love the prophecy plugged in, how you kind of branded your, your calls. That's great. That gets the team on board. And I like the idea, and this is very important, that one hand has to know what the other hand is doing. So making sure your teams are communicating, make sure everybody knows what they're doing, because you're right. If you sell something and it's not a great fit, Onboarding has to deal with that. Success and support have to deal with that. And it's just a nightmare for them. So I love that you've got the team clued in to what's happening and that the team is hearing from customers, knowing what they're doing, what they're building, what they're selling, what they're, what they're getting out there is working and they're seeing results. Super awesome because you can get a lot of intrinsic motivation from seeing the actual results 
that the customer base is having. So well done on that, Lynn. I think that's great. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. And I'll tell you what, I attribute a, a tremendous amount of this success to the professors. That's what we call the employees here. Oh, I love it. They're the ones that make it happen. There is just zero doubt about it. And that goes all the way from HR, making sure that we bring in people that fit into our culture and most importantly, the people. So no matter what I do and things I set up, if you don't have the right people in place that value the things that we just discussed, it doesn't matter. So I, I couldn't be luckier than be surrounded by uh, the people here. Good work. Well, it's a great leader that signals that points out the team. So nice job on that. What I want to ask you is, what is master data management exactly? I mean, MDM, what is that all about? I'm clueless. Yeah. So what, uh, so, and, and you're not alone, Matt. What master data management does is it provides, as you mentioned, it provides a foundation of trusted data that companies can rely on. And that's become so much more important today. You hear about digital transformation, artificial intelligence, machine learning, all these things that companies are trying to do. If you don't have data that you can trust, which means it's accurate and it's the same in different places, can you imagine feeding data to an artificial intelligence engine and having it make recommendations or even decisions more likely? If that data is not accurate, you're going to get some pretty bad recommendations and decisions. So mm-hmm. people have now begun to understand how important this, this trusted data is. And there's lots of things it does, but you can boil master data management down to three things to create trusted data. One is it improves the quality of the data, fixes errors, makes sure there's not duplicates, things of that nature. Mm-hmm. Number two, it enhances the data. So if you're missing data elements or don't know how one piece of data relates to another, Think about a family member and one of their, their a spouse or a sibling being related together. So it enhances the data. Uh, and thirdly, it harmonizes the data because you have to keep it in sync constantly for it to be able to really help you. Now, that was not as much of a challenge even five years ago. But because of what we're, we have in the business world, we have a perfect storm to create bad data. And there's three things there. First is volumes. Volumes of data are just increasing at just mind-expanding rates. Uh, I don't know if if your audience has heard the stat that uh, 90% of the data that exists today did not, 90% did not even exist two years ago. So that just gives you an idea of what's happening. So this is huge data explosion. That's one. Amazing. Two, as your show is named, SaaS, the proliferation of cloud-based applications has now means that customers no longer have all of their data in two or three monolithic applications. It's now spread out in tens or hundreds of applications, which means it's in different locations. And it also means the data is in different shapes and sizes because all data all be stored things in different ways. Yep. Um, but it's also even entered by more people. You don't have data entry clerks anymore. We have all these people entering data, even our customers now, Mm-hmm. And I don't think a lot of people have thought about this 20 years ago, 10 years ago, most of your data was controlled in some way. Now you have customers entering their own data. How do you keep all of that harmonized? Mm-hmm. It's very, very difficult. And when you have to make decisions quickly, you better have all the data accurate that you can trust and not have to take months to try to get to the right answer. So master data management basically orchestrates all that for you, improves the quality gives you data you didn't have before, and then keeps it all harmonized. I love it. That makes so much sense to me now because running my companies, building those, 
we would have times where, okay, we need this number. What is it? Are we getting it from the CRM? Are we getting it from this, you know, uh, ERP? Are we getting it from our financial system? Are we getting it from our CFO spreadsheets? Like, which is the source of truth? And it was so hard to figure it out. It is crazy. I recently posted something on LinkedIn and I asked people to, to send out an email to three different people in their company, head of marketing, head of customer service, the CFO's office, and ask them one simple question. How many customers do we have? What could be more important than that number? And what I shared with them is I asked them to do it. I didn't ask for a response because no one's going to want to reply back and say, wow, our company doesn't know this. But when you do that, you send that out, 90% of the audience will get three different answers. Mm -hmm. I guarantee it. And as a matter of fact, 75% of them will get back three different answers and none of them will be correct. And that's a simple question. How many customers do we have? Think about how much more complex the question should be getting and how difficult it is to get it. So you're right on. Yeah, that's tough. I know that you and, and your company, you guys are big on driving value for customers. So how does that work? When you drive value for customers, how does doing that drive more sales for you? Absolutely. It does it in a couple of ways. The first thing it does is when you drive value to the people that have purchased your software, that creates loyalty, which creates better references, which creates additional investments, and quite frankly, provides the best marketing tool in the world. Hopefully, my marketing, uh, my CMO isn't listening, but the most valuable marketing mechanism we have is no different than any other company. It's our customers. So when you drive value and deliver what you said and more, you get all of those things. I mean, it just makes great business sense. So that's the first thing. The second thing goes back to an earlier part of our conversation. A lot of people in master data management, in data management, a lot of companies, it's difficult to put a return on investment on having good data. If I tell you I'm going to increase your inventory turns, then that's easy to say, great, I've got this much inventory I normally have to carry. I'm going to have to carry this much less. Easy ROI, right? Mm -hmm. With quality of data, it's a little more difficult. Now, we've been in this space, even though it was called other things in the past, for a long time. So we have these experiences with customers that we've seen. So we help our prospective customers build these value roadmaps. And it says, if I do this with the software, and if I have better data, here is going to be how I'm going to improve my business, which is increasing revenues or decreasing costs. So it helps them prioritize data quality or master data management as they look at their priorities. But more importantly, it provides them this value roadmap and they can say, here are the different things that I need to do in priority order that are going to give me the best return. You mentioned in your opening uh, and you've done your homework about the number of failures of master data management projects. And if you talk to the third-party analysts, I'm not talking about the software vendors, the third-party analysts, they will tell you the number one reason that data management projects fail is of the lack of a business plan. Where am I getting ROI? Why am I doing it? Because in today's world, executives don't wait two years to say, okay, great, you've proven what you told me. They want to see it. So if you go into a project knowing the biggest drivers, your chance of success you know, it increases tenfold. It also mm -hmm. keeps those project focused because when you don't have a specific plan around something as that, that is something as unclear as data quality 
then it's easy to start going in different directions. So that business case or roadmap gives you focus to stay on course in the project and hit your success. Beautiful. I love it. Okay, Len, along the way, you guys have grown a great company. So what would you say were some of the best moves that you've been able to make to get ahead? Absolutely. Uh, Probably there's a lot of great decisions that a lot of people made here, uh, but probably the best move was around focusing on culture and shared values. You know, a lot of people put teamwork up on their lists of things that need to happen and it becomes an item that just everyone feels like they should talk about. But for us, focusing on the culture and shared values has helped us so much. In today's world, you need to be diverse. And it's not because it's the right thing to do, which it is, without a doubt. But the absolute best decisions, the best results comes when you have diverse perspectives. So anybody that thinks that they should be looking at diversity just because it's what everyone's talking about is missing the big picture. It makes you a better company. But by the way, it's not just gender, ethnicity, and age, which it is, without a doubt. But what it also really is, it's about the way people think, because you want different minds. Like, for example, if I had a room of 10 of me, we'd be so much less successful as a company. We just would, right? We need different people with different perspectives to look at things. But with that said, you do need some common element that brings everyone together. So we've put a huge focus on values here. And we look to hire people with those shared values because when you put people in the room and they're different sizes and shapes and colors, but they have some core beliefs like constructive candor, customer success, getting stuff done, a growth mindset, that makes all those differences, takes away the negativity of those differences and allows you to take and make the most of your differences. So, you know, we, we talked about the power of us as one of our themes as a company. And what creates the power of us is to get people working in a healthy environment. And healthy to us means that we trust each other enough that we can disagree. We want people to disagree. If you look at the values on our website, we put a lot of thought into the wording, even of the words themselves. And in constructive candor, we debated between sometimes we'll disagree And we will hopefully disagree. And we ended up with hopefully because we want that disagreement. So it's one of the things that enabled us. I mentioned before in the earlier in the call when you asked about how we did during the pandemic, it's having these shared cultures and values that have really kept the team together and focused and being super productive. So that was probably there's lots of feature and software decisions we made and marketing decisions that we made that were good that I easily could have answered the question of some of our, you know, the great things that we've done. But none of those would have happened if we didn't have this core of people that can smart people that want to work together. I think that's really well said, because when you get the right people with the right values on the team, then you can make great decisions. That's how great decisions happen. And by the way, I love the idea of having that constructive candor. A lot of companies try to avoid it, but actually there have been studies that have come out. I think most notorious Jim Collins did studies on this that the companies that actually debated and each of the people fought based on their perspective from their role and nicely fought, not necessarily (laughs) taking each other down, those companies actually were the ones that got ahead. So I'm glad that you've built this culture to be able to do that because that's something that really can make some great things happen. What I want to ask you about now is what were some of the early things you wish you'd known about, early mistakes you wish you would have avoided? Uh, While a lot of the great things we did are attributed to the great people in the company, 
Uh, some of the, the lessons I've learned have been more personal. Master data management, as we talked about, can handle so many different needs for so many different types of companies. It's a little bit of a double-edged sword because a company, to be incredibly successful, has to use all their resources, especially smaller companies in the right places. So we have really narrowed our focus and it has produced just unbelievable results. Uh, so now we are more focused on the places we can add the absolute most value because we can add value really across the board. But the areas we can provide the most value is to healthcare companies, financial services companies, and manufacturing companies. So we do work across 14 different verticals, but those are the three we focus on getting more market awareness in. And also there's a fourth, and that's Microsoft-centric organizations. We have some incredible integrations out of the box into the Microsoft Azure or their, their private cloud environment that really provides some great value to customers because it means they can be up and running even faster, that they get some automatic integrations into the Microsoft platform. So what we've done now has become much more target focused as far as getting our name out in the marketplace. That's great. Really, really cool. I love the idea of focus. What I want to ask is, what advice do you have for software founders who are just starting out on their journey? What should they be working on and focusing on? As your audience knows better than me, and some of this will probably be redundant to them, but out of all the things, I would say the most important thing is providing clarity. And that's clarity of who you are and why you exist. And it sounds easier than it actually is. But the reason that clarity is so important is it defines your market. Who should I be going after? Which also defines how I'm going to invest, especially if I'm a founder, I'm going to have scarce resources. I better put them in the right spot. Where do I take these scarce resources and which parts of the product do I focus on the most? Mm -hmm. And thirdly, what type of employee should I hire? Right, Going back to the conversation we had about how important that employee base is. So creating clarity in your mind who am I? Why do I exist? What's our purpose? What do we stand for? What are the most important things we need to do to be successful? That just then drives everything else you do. So being crystal clear in clarity, so you can answer that question in, you know, right off the top of your head. And more importantly, that all of your employees can answer that question right off exactly. the top. I love it, Len. That's such great stuff. I believe in all that stuff you just said. And clarity is huge. And and it sounds like you're a great leader, giving praise, taking all of the uh, the bad in your shoulders. Awesome stuff, my man. So what I want to ask is, how shall our audience learn more about what you're doing and what Prophecy is doing? Uh, well, thank you, Matt. And thank you, thank you for the kind words. I, I really appreciate that very, very much. So the easiest way is uh, you can follow me on LinkedIn. Uh, Prophecy. We have obviously a LinkedIn presence. It's P is in Paul, R-O-F-I-S-E-E. -E. Uh, you can also email me directly. My personal email is len, L-E-N dot Finkle, F-I-N-K-L-E, at prophecy.com. Obviously, visit the website, which is www.prophecy.com. Or lastly, if you just want some general information, please feel free to email info, I-N-F-O, at prophecy.com. Awesome. We'll put all that in the show notes as well for anybody listening. But Len, thank you so much. This has been a lot of fun. Oh, Matt, thank you. Thank you for, for the great questions. I really, really appreciate it. And thank you the audience for taking a few minutes out of their valuable day to listen. You're welcome. And for everybody out there, thank you very much for coming and listening. 
Make sure you subscribe, whether you're watching, make sure you hit the subscribe button. If you're on the podcast, subscribe there. Please also give us ratings and likes. That helps us have the ability to provide you with more creators, more innovators. So every week, you'll be able to get more and more juicy nuggets like what Len just shared with us. So thank you for coming, and we will see you next time. Take care. Thank you for listening to Sastery in the Making. Join us next episode for another look into how today's visionaries are creating the next generation of innovation. Thank you.